Hi, I'm Robert Osborne. All day today is part of our month-long Summer Under the Stars. Summer Under the Stars. Summer Under the Stars tribute focuses on Cary Grant, Audrey Bogart, Doris Day, Hattie McDaniel, Sophia Loren, Marlon Brando, Audrey Hepburn, James Cagney, Ingrid Bergman, Sidney Poitier, Myrna Loy, Gene Kelly, Betty Davis, Steve McQueen, Doris Day, and many more. Summer Under the Stars, only on Turner Classic Movies. Ticklish business any way you look at it. Come on, we'll stick together. Hello, everybody. It's Ticklish Business, the podcast devoted to honoring and deconstructing the world of classic cinema. As always, I'm your host, Kristen Lopez. I'm Drea Clark. And I'm Samantha Ellis. This week, we are doing our annual Summer Under the Stars episode. Unlike years past, where I've just spewed out recommendations, we are actually doing a top three, looking at three stars that we each are excited to devote 24 whole hours to. Before we get to that, though, we'd like to do a little bit of housekeeping. As always, this episode and all of the episodes run on your donations, courtesy of patreon.com slash ticklishbiz. If you become a patron now, you get access to special pins and a whole host of not just these episodes, which you get 48 hours early, but a whole series of exclusive interviews and bonus shows, including my two series based on a true podcast with William Bibiani and double features with Adam Kautzer. For the month of August, we're actually doing our first Patreon drive. The goal? To get 15 patrons. We are very close to that, but we'd love to go at least 15, maybe even get 20. Who knows? We will be spending Summer Under the Stars doing a drive where we each will devote a day to watching a star's whole slate of films and finding a way to provide reviews to you, whether that's through video or written or anything that we can think of, to get more patrons to head over and learn more about us. We'll be promoting that on our Twitter, which is at ticklish underscore biz. And we will be giving away a prize to a lucky member who decides to become a patron in the month of August. We're going to be giving out a special secret ticklish business prize pack. As always, we're going to be doing our Summer Under the Stars blogathon at journeysandclassicfilm.com, which Sam and I are co-hosting. I'm so excited. Summer Under the Stars is my favorite TCM event of the year. I just love binging stars that I know and learning about stars that I don't know. It's my favorite time of the whole year. That transitions us nicely into this year's Summer Under the Stars. Drea, I believe it was you who said they had a really good slate this year. I don't know if I agree with that. As you guys know, I'm actually less versed with TCM in general than you are. Because most of the media I consume has always been pick and choose. And it's only been in the last couple years even that I started following TCM or looking at their offerings. I really like the range of this year's lineup and that it has your expected or more recognizable classic stars like Humphrey Bogart or Audrey Hepburn. I love Anne Southern. Obviously, the three that I've decided that are my very favorite to talk about today it was fun and hard to choose just three, which was indicative of a good lineup. Was it in comparison to other years that it didn't seem as strong? I plan my summer around Summer Under the Stars because it comes in August when summer is slowly starting to wind down and it's this last hurroo 
of summer enjoyment. In years past, they've picked actors who are more, not necessarily character-based, but there is a litany of movies where they have associations with bigger stars that I would be into. I was looking at this lineup, and it just felt like I had seen a lot of these movies played already throughout the year. And so, of course, some of the big names like Brando and Red Skelton, Bogart especially, just felt like, okay, haven't we already devoted significant time to these people already? I don't know. It just felt like safe choices this year as opposed to really diving deep. Or it could just be bitter that for another year, John Garfield has not been included in this <laughs> Sam, what do you think about the slate this year? Kristen, I tend to agree with you. This is just because Some Under the Stars is something that I always am so excited about. And when there aren't a ton of stars that I'm really thrilled to watch or a ton of movies that I'm thrilled to watch, that's a bit of a letdown. There are so many stars on this lineup that I love. But the movies themselves are really lacking this year. Just giving an example, so excited for Mary Astor Day, but choices are kind of uninspired. I mean, you have the Maltese Falcon set for primetime. Whereas in other years, this was the chance to bring out a star that maybe we know and bring out movies that maybe we don't know. I literally discovered my favorite movie of all time during Summer Under the Stars, Jewel Robbery with William Powell. I discovered that on William Powell Day, and that's not a movie that TCM shows all the time. So I was really hoping that TCM would step up and do that. That's not really the case. Either there's a day of movies where I've seen just about all of them, or there's a day where I haven't seen some, but they're not really ones that I've wanted to see. So I agree with you there, Kristen. But there are definitely stars that I'm excited to see, and I'll catch a couple movies, but there are very few that I'm going to binge. I will concede that the movie selection, for me, it was more looking at the lineup of the stars themselves. It did give me pause on the movie selections when we were talking about our top three I had gone through and was like, ooh, I would love to talk about blank. And then I was already thinking of, ooh, of their films, which are my few favorites. A couple of them, they weren't on that list. They weren't something that TCM was showing as part of their 24 hours. I will give on that side of it. One of the biggest letdowns that also come to mind, Henry Fonda. He's an actor that I adore. I would gladly put him in my top three. But after looking at his lineup, I'm just not too excited about it. And then Rita Moreno, who's, I believe, a first timer for Summer Under the Stars. They put in so many films where she's just a bit part, like Singing in the Rain, which we've seen on the channel a million times. I would much rather see the movie's of these stars that I adore that are a little under the radar or some more TCM premieres. I'm glad that I'm not completely a jerk for saying that this seems uninspired this year. But at the same time, that's not to say that there aren't good movies that are being shown and there aren't stars that we're interested in. Of course, we're devoting our entire episode to talking about what they're showing this month. Some years, there's great years. I want to say two years ago was really, really good. Other years, it's just a great way to spend a couple hours watching a movie. 
I had a bit of an existential classic film fan crisis because I was looking at this list and it, none of it just seemed very new to me. So I was thinking to myself, is it just that I'm growing up and growing out of some of these tried and trues? It freaked me out because I remember when I was first starting to watch Summer Under the Stars, I wouldn't know half of the names. I discovered one of my favorite actresses, Anne Blythe. I had never even seen her face. And then they were showing 24 hours of her movies in 2013. And I just binged those and she became an instant favorite. This year, I only didn't recognize maybe two or three names. And that was scary, very scary for me. So maybe it's me. Well, Sam, why don't you start us off with the first star that you're excited to spend the day with? Okay, I know I just went on a bit of a tangent about the tried and trues, but I do have some tried and trues on my list today because while I feel like lately, up until now, Summer Under the Stars has been my chance to watch movies that are new to me, I don't think we're going to get too many opportunities to do that this year. So my number three choice is Audrey Hepburn. I really chose her not only because she's just so iconic and such a fascinating star to watch, but there are actually a good amount of movies on here that would be new to me. They're all in the morning. I'm really excited to see Robin and Marion, Green Mansions, and also Love in the Afternoon. I had the chance to see it at the TCM Film Festival, but I decided not to. I regret it a little bit, but I still had such a good time. Aside from the omission of Breakfast at Tiffany's, which of course is owned by Paramount, who holds their classic movies with an iron fist, they have a really good lineup of films. This is definitely a day that I would binge 24 hours, and I plan to. One last film that I'll definitely throw in there, if you haven't seen it, you absolutely must, is Paris When It Sizzles. Among Audrey fans, this is a movie that it gets a lot of hate. Really only half a movie. <laughs> My sister and I just don't understand it because it is such a favorite of ours. We'll watch it anytime it comes on. We think it's so cleverly written and there are so many cute Hollywood cameos. It's just such fun. The reason why I picked Audrey ultimately is because this whole day is just going to be a lot of fun to watch. Even the children's hour. Even the children's hour. Throw out some other ones that you didn't mention. I love the children's hour. Oh, me too. It's probably my favorite interpretation of that story, mostly because of that cast. Can't go wrong with James Garner ever in a movie. I am so with you on that. He's one of my favorites. He needs a day. We're on to something here. James Garner day. I would literally call out sick just to spend all day watching James Garner movies. That makes two of us. Paris When It Sizzles does get a bum rap because it's it's sad to know what was going on behind the scenes with William Holt going to rehab. It's why I call it half a movie because he literally left and they had to do the rest of the movie without him. It is worth it purely to see them reteamed after Sabrina. Drea, do you have any Audrey movies airing that day that you want to show for? Any Audrey movie in general is something I want to show for. Audrey's actually the person that I feel like I'm friends with her. I'm so devoted to her in real life, and that's likely who I would do for my 24 hours. There are the classic ones that are in here. I've probably seen Funny Face 100,000 times. As you guys know, Wait Until Dark is a favorite of mine, and we will likely be discussing that at some point in the coming months. I was happy the Children's Hour was on there. 
Oh, absolutely. My sister is actually going to be watching Wait Until Dark for the first time when it airs on Audrey Hepburn Day. I'm so excited for her to see it. Drea, what's your number three? I don't like to put things in order, Kristen. How about the first one I'll talk about is Lena Horne. She's someone that I wanted to talk about her and draw attention to her in her day, even before I saw the lineup. Her career is interesting because she started as a recording star and then was at MGM and did these films for them or as a loan out that were musicals and of that ilk and often had a really specific bend to them that she would just be in a single scene singing largely because then they could edit that scene out when they were showing it in the South, if it was a film that was an all-white cast. And then she left and concentrated on activism, moved to television. She has a couple of later films that I really wish had made this. I wish that The Wiz would have made it for reasons of my own fandom. The Duchess of Idaho, truthfully, Death of a Gunfighter would have been an amazing inclusion. But of the ones that did make it, I don't want to just talk about ones that didn't, Stormy Weather is such a classic Lena Horne. It's an all-black musical. The Stormy Weather song itself became her signature song. It's such a beautiful showcase of her power as a singer, and she was such a beautiful performer. That one's just interesting and fascinating. And then in this black film, black musical oeuvre, they're showing Vincent Minnelli's first film, Cabin in the Sky. She plays this sexy sidekick henchwoman of the devil. She's this gold digger named Georgia Brown. Because Stormy Weather and Cabin in the Sky had black cast, it didn't have the same cut and paste feel as her other involvement with musicals that were predominantly white casts, like I said, because those were structured so that she could be cut out of them. Horrifying to think about, but just the reality. Whereas Stormy Weather or Cabin in the Sky, because the whole cast is that way, they're allowed to get comfortable and build more characters. That said, these are ones that I hope there's a historical context. That's something it very famously, a lot of theaters in the South refused to show it at all. It's apparently a sheriff in a town in Tennessee called Mount Pleasant shut the screening down 30 minutes into the films. For people who are discovering stars and discovering new films, we love the historical context for these and where we are now and looking back at those are our standouts for that. And like I said, I would have loved if Death of a Gunfighter had made this because in that one, she does play the love interest of a white actor. Richard Widmark plays the lead role in that. You can't really go wrong with her whole lineup. Even if you're just watching for the moment where she comes on and shines, she shines so much. Like Zigfield Follies, Swing Fever, which was one of the very first ones. You look at it and you're like, oh, I get it. I get the it factor of it. She's just a delight. She could have done so much more, too. I have not seen nearly enough Lena Horne movies. I've only seen Duchess of Idaho, which she does not have a huge role in that. She's just a performer. I'm excited to see her in actual acting roles. Obviously, Stormy Weather and Cabin in the Sky. And I do want to see Ziegfeld Follies because I feel like I've seen clips of that movie's weirdness but I've not consumed it. Like you said, a lot of her film stuff, it's very interesting because we don't really do that anymore because she was a singer that they were making into a movie star 
in a Beyonce way. They would roll her out for these performance elements and then shuffle her away, which is a reason that the times that she did get to dig into things, I very much appreciated. Sigfield Follies is, like you said, wacky, and it has such an insane cast. Everybody should watch that one. Lucille Ball is in that, and Fred Astaire, and Gene Kelly is in that. I would check that out. It's not going to be the huge Lena Horne showcase, but man, it's a showcase for about 80 major stars of the time, it felt. I bow down to you for this choice, Drea. I am such a big Lena Horn fan, and I'm so glad that people are going to have the chance to see more of her movies for 24 hours. I've never seen Stormy Weather, so I am so, so thrilled to watch that for the first time. And Duchess of Idaho is one of my favorite Esther Williams movies. Talk about a fun movie to watch. I just adore that. Anyone who has not seen Cabin in the Sky, it is essential Black film history. You need to see it. She really plays such an integral part of that film. Yay! Lena Horne! Well, I'm moving to more comic performer, or at least a lighter, not just in pigment, but in tone of film. I'm talking about the performer who's on the day before Lena Horne, and that's Melvin Douglas. The grandfather of TCM host and friend of Chicklish Business, Ileana Douglas. So she did not influence my decision making, by the way. Melvin Douglas is an actor who I used to get confused with David Niven, and now I don't. Both of them had very similar career trajectories, but Melvin Douglas always played the poor guy that didn't get the girl, as opposed to David Niven, who cultivated this air of charming dickishness. That's really the only way I can describe it. So I had to include Melvin Douglas on here. He's got a lot of movies that I've wanted to see that I haven't seen. Of course, I've seen Ninochka that he made in 1939, but that's really it. it. This was mostly a choice of wanting to discover a lot of the movies that he had starred in. So I know that TCM just aired it a couple weeks ago. I wanted to see Fast Company from 1938, which was an attempt to make a Thin Man-esque franchise. A lot of the comic movies that they're showing and the murder mystery films that they're showing were obvious attempts to make a Thin Man franchise with Melvin Douglas, where essentially nobody's like drinking and smoking, but they're still having this fun, wealthy murder mystery angle to it. And he always had really great co-stars. So they're showing also from 1938, There's Always a Woman, which he did with Mary Astor and Joan Blondell, where he plays a married private eye and they have to solve a murder. I'm a sucker for murder mystery stories that are about 77 minutes long. Of course, they're showing that uncertain feeling, which is the Ernst Lubitsch movie that he made with Merle Oberon, which I keep trying to see, and I haven't seen it yet, so this is a good time to do that. I also want to see A Woman's Face, which is a movie that I've had sitting in my closet for over a year. It's a noirish drama that he did with Joan Crawford, directed by George Cukor. And he did a movie with Myrna Loy, which they're showing very late at night, Third Finger, Left Hand. So I love the fact that Melvin Douglas was the king of light films, light and bubbly movies. When I'm working super hard at my day job, it's best to just kick back with something frothy. And Melvin Douglas was the king of that. So I'm excited to kick back and just enjoy peppiness. I'm a big Melvin Douglas fan. I was very tempted to put him on my list, 
But I was a little bit let down by his movies. In general, it's a very good arc of his career. If you've never seen a Melvin Douglas movie like my sister hasn't, and she's going to see these movies for the first time, it's a really good place to start. But there are definitely a couple of omissions that I'm a little bit mad about, specifically The Vampire Bat with Faye Ray. I love that movie so much. They have great chemistry in it. I would have loved to see it on here. I'm definitely excited for some of these too. I've never seen that uncertain feeling either. And I'm very thrilled to see that one. And I'm also going to throw out Being There. It's a little bit more modern, but he and Peter Sellers are both magnificent in it. And if you're a classic movie fan that shies away from movies made after 1970 this is definitely an exception to me he's so great i agree on being there i'm not as familiar with melvin as well i've seen ninotchka and i met him in paris he's in that yes but being there that should be just in the requirement list for everybody an amazing film and it's such fascinating pacing and how it's telling the story and the character it's building also peter sellers but he's not on our list so i won't talk more about peter sellers Well, Sam, what's your next one? My next pick is actually one I just stole from Kristen. I was waiting for you to take it. (laughs) You kept saying, no, no, I'm not going to do it. And then you did it anyway. We were going back and forth about it. I was um, trying to make my whole new list. I didn't want us to have any repeats. And then last second, she's like, okay, I'm not doing Errol Flynn anymore. So I'm like, I'm going to take him then because... Other than Ty, he's probably my favorite actor. My second choice would be Errol Flynn. He's just such a favorite. I could watch him on my screen all day. I don't care what he's in. Well, I do care. He's just such a magnificent performer. He could really do it all. He did that comedy perfectly, that action. He could even pull off a couple dramas. He's just so awesome to see. And I'm so, so thrilled that he's included this year. I don't think he has been lately. I'm just over the moon about it. The ones I'm always waiting for are Ty, Aeroflynn, and Rita Hayworth. And I'm really glad that Aeroflynn at least got mention here. As far as movies, I'm going to try to shy away from the really famous ones. Footsteps in the Dark, I saw recently for the first time, and it is just absolutely charming. It's so great. Really underrated film. It's the first one of the day, but if you're up that early, definitely try to watch it. I would also say I'm excited for Santa Fe Trail. That's a Flynn and de Havilland movie I haven't seen. Captain Blood is one of my favorite movies of all time. Definitely one of my favorite pirate movie, even above Ty's pirate movies. So Captain Blood is a must. He's just perfect with Olivia in that film. Gentleman Jim is probably one of Errol Flynn's most famous non-swashbuckling roles, but I haven't seen it. So that's an absolute must for me. And then lastly, I'm going to go with The Dawn Patrol from 1938. I've seen this movie once, right when I was really starting to get into Errol Flynn as an actor and really starting to develop a crush on him. It's been years since I've seen it, and I remember absolutely loving it. So I have to see it again and see if it's as good as I remember. Overall, those are my recommendations. There are a couple of others I haven't seen. Northern Pursuit and Cry Wolf. 
the Master of Ballantrae too. Other than that, I've pretty much seen all of these. So it's a nice mix. And that's something that I'm really grateful for. I feel like more of the days of this year, Summer to the Stars need that. I'm going to enjoy watching the new to me films. And I'm going to enjoy watching the films that I've seen a million times. Errol Flynn Day is just looking to be really great. It's weird. Errol Flynn's day is comprised of the movies I would expect and a lot more of his action adventure films. I'm thoroughly surprised that they shied away from a lot of the more romantic movies that he made. And by romantic, I mean more in the melodrama vein. This is a very masculine slate of movies. But at the same time, you took a lot of the ones that I would have mentioned. I'm excited to see Footsteps in the Dark as well. Dodge City is I'm not a fan of westerns ordinarily, but I really enjoyed Dodge City. I would say my favorite movie starring him and Olivia de Havilland. I know that's a bit of a shock, even though he's supposed to be playing an all-American with a Tasmanian accent. Go figure. Drea, you got anything to throw out on Errol Flynn? No, I agree with all these choices. Everything I have to say about Errol Flynn is just in the red flag territory of him (laughs) as a human. Very problematic choice. We will preface that. Yes. Understandable movie star, but someone who very much benefited by the lack of an internet. He's a problem, but he's my problem. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to say, this is a slate that has two performers that I have issues with. I'm going to be a hypocrite. One I can separate one I refuse to separate. So go figure. If you've listened to this podcast long enough, you should have noticed right away who the other performer is that I'm just like screaming into the void that they have decided to honor. Is it Layla Hyams? Yes, it is Layla Hyams. (laughs) That woman knows what she did. She knows what she did. (laughs) That James Stewart is just a rapscallion and he should be locked up. Don't even make that joke. (laughs) I would be devastated if anything ever came out about James Stewart. Andrea, what's your next one? All right. My next one is so far scandal free. We mentioned there's this divide of people who tend to be enamored with classic film up through a really particular point in time because it stops being as romantic and can start getting more gritty. So my next star is Liv Ullman, a Swedish actress whose work was grittiness and reality personified, even though a lot of it did have some sort of mystical elements. One of my very favorite films of hers that I'm sure I've talked about before is Persona. Obviously, she had several collaborations with director Ingmar Bergman. Persona is psychological and detailed. She plays an actress and she's stopped speaking, goes mute, and she's paired up with this nurse and they go away for her to convalesce and lines start to get blurred in terms of do they both actually exist? And it's open to all of this analysis, which is the kind of thing I love in movies. There's a lot of movies that I'll watch numerous times because of the immersion and happiness and joy that they bring me, and I shut my brain off. Then there's movies that are more like Persona, which is I'll watch them so many times because I feel like I'm picking up something differently each time, noticing new directorial cues or things that the actors are doing that are nodding to something I missed entirely. And one of the reasons that Persona works so well is Liv Ullman's 
star quality that's also just so grounded. Another movie that they're showing that ties into that that's, again, one of her more famous ones, but I don't know how many people are watching when they're digging into their Summer Under the Stars, is Scenes from a Marriage. It's the second one that I have that's directed by Ingmar Bergman. You could do just a whole lineup of favorites of collaborations with the two of them, but Scenes from a Marriage is such a fascinating depiction of the relationship between two people. The woman is a lawyer who works in divorce. That's her background. Her husband, they've been together for a while, and the whole movie covers a decade of their lives. It actually was originally shot as a television series for Sweden and then was edited into motion picture length for a worldwide audience. So it's so detailed. There's so many intricacies of it. There's a lot of filmmakers today who watch Bergman films as inspiration. Some of those are people like Woody Allen, but I know Richard Linklater was listed as someone else who fond of his work. So people who are doing things that have, again, that realistic quality, leaves ability to be both a sympathetic character and someone who's on edge and going through not great stuff and you don't always like her, but you're with her. And then the third one of her films that I would definitely highlight for Summer Under the Stars is The Emigrants. This film is unique. Also, it's not with Ingrid Bergman. It is something she co-stars with Max von Sydow, and they did a ton of movies together. This one stands out to me for a few reasons of pointed viewing now. Obviously, The Emigrants is about, in this case, it's a Swedish family. They're farmers, they're struggling, and they feel like they've hit the end of what they can do in Sweden. And so they're looking to America as this land of opportunity, bringing their family and starting anew and hopefully being able to do better that all that America promises, if they bring their dreams and their ability to work hard, that they'll be able to rise up. Currently, that's a nice perspective for people to remember why people have always been drawn to coming here from other countries. One of the things about this that I always found fascinating is, like many Swedes, they end up in Minnesota, which is where I'm from. The country that they end up in is literally the town that's right next to White Bear Lake, which is where I'm from, they end up in Stillwater. And so, of course, I had these very personal connections to it. It's a really interesting, rich immigration tale that's from a really unique perspective. Those are my Leave Omen picks. This is why Dre is awesome. She picks the stuff that none of us would have picked. <laughs> no, I love you for it. I say that in the best way possible because I know nothing about Bergman. It's a blind spot or leave moments so i'm very excited gave us some food for thought i was gonna say the same thing you got me i have hardly ever even heard of her i'm ashamed to say i've definitely never heard of any of these movies that you're talking about but if i have the time in between my 24-hour marathons i'm definitely gonna catch one because she sounds very interesting and very real. Kind of like a Gina Rollins, am I? Definitely. That's how you're making her sound. I would definitely list her as a contemporary performance style, the grounded, earthy, sensual, but smart. Yes, very, very Gina Rollins. Moving on to my number two. And we haven't been mentioning what days any of our stars are actually doing. So please go to summer.tcm.com if you want to know what day your favorite star is actually going to be on. But I'm going towards the end of the month for my next one, August 21st. 
talking about Joel McRae. It's super funny. I was actually at an event this weekend where one of the movies I watched was a Joel McRae movie. I watch a lot of movies with him in them, and I never really think much of him personally, but he's in everything, and he always played really well opposite strong women. That makes him pretty awesome in my book. I was very surprised that I picked him out of all the male actors that they're showing this month, because he's done a lot of really eclectic film choices in his career. I am a little bummed they're not showing 1932's Bird of Paradise with him and Dolores Del Rio, which is worth it. If you have not seen it, it's about a sailor who falls off of a ship and then ends up hanging out in a Polynesian island and then falls in love with a Polynesian woman played by Dolores Del Rio and has to surf a turtle. What else is he going to surf on? Either he's trying to surf with the turtle or he's being very forward with that turtle. I don't know. The point is, is a turtle is involved and I'm very upset you guys will not be experiencing that. But what they do have on his day is amazing. It's cavalcade of bizarre choices. You will not watch the same movie twice. They're starting it off with The Most Dangerous Game, also from 1932, which is a great action horror film where humans are being hunted by a crazy guy pretty progressive for 1932. I don't really know how far we've come from The Most Dangerous Game. Joel McRae is really good in it. The Richest Girl in the World is a sweet little romantic film with him and Miriam Hopkins. I am excited to see Primrose Path, which I have not seen from 1940 with Ginger Rogers, where I've been told that she plays a woman who sells her virtue. It's always great. The primetime movies are worth watching. It's a trio of classics, starting with The Palm Beach Story, from 1942 with him and Claudette Colbert. Joel McRae is one of those performers that always had really weird little sexy gets where you're just like, that's just something he did with women. There is a moment in the Palm Beach story that when I listed on my blog some of the sexiest movie moments, I included it because it's a great, great moment where you're just like, it's 1942, Joel, you are not allowed to do that. And then of course, it's Fall by Sullivan's Travels which has him and, and my girl, Veronica Lake. Present Surges is just genius. Surprised we haven't talked about Sullivan's Travels because it's one of my favorite movies. It's him playing a film director who wants to learn about the common man. So he decides to be a bum and travel America. He learns about the power of laughter. And then it's followed by The More the Merrier from 1943 with him and Gene Arthur, which also has a very saucy moment in it. And it's hilarious about two guys and a girl living in an apartment together I call it a reverse threes company. And then it's followed by Union Pacific, which we actually did a whole episode on a couple of years ago when we talked about Robert Preston. So you should go find that episode. Joel McRae got a nice little thing going on there. So pretty much any movie on that day is going to be good. Very different, though. You're not going to watch the same genre twice. Anybody got Joel McRae comments? I have to chime in here. I am the most excited about Joel McRae Day more than any other day. I couldn't choose him for my 24-hour because I will be working that day, but my Watch TCM buttons are going to be working the week after that. I am really into a lot of these picks. Primrose Path is really good. I do love that one. I just saw him in a movie called two in a crowd with Joan Bennett. It's a very, very rare one. I only saw one print of it. The one thing about this schedule is it has the classics like the Palm Beach story and Sullivan's travels. 
I haven't seen the Palm Beach story. That was actually my little takeaway from the Criterion sale. That was the only thing I bought. There are so many of these I'm excited for. They did omit a couple. If it were me, I would have loved to see two in a crowd. I would have also loved to see foreign correspondent. That was a big omission. But at the same time, for every film on this list, you could have thrown in those popular ones. There are a lot of them that I haven't seen or I think more people should see. Primarily, like I mentioned, Primrose Path, but also Colorado Territory. It's a remake of High Sierra, and I'm going to be one of those people. I like this better. And I think that's just because I feel so close to Jill McRae and I adore Virginia Mayo and they have a really cool chemistry, a more believable chemistry. I would watch any of these. It's either a movie that I've seen or a movie that I'm dying to see. So this is a perfect schedule. Palm Beach Story is one of my very favorites. I'm very excited you picked it up because it's so good. I hope a lot of people wake up for whatever time that it's playing on TCM. It's like 6.30 p.m., so it should be a pretty easy one to wake up for. If I haven't seen it on my Blu-ray, I'm going to watch that movie because it's the one that everyone's been begging me to watch because Jill McRae is my newest crush right now. I've been watching all the Joel McRae movies I can get my hands on, and everyone's like, how have you not seen Palm Beach Story? That's definitely a must. And he's also starring opposite my birthday twin, Claudette Colbert, so that's going to be fun. My number one choice is actually the star that I did choose to honor for the 24-hour marathon, and that's Ava Gardner. She is going to be celebrated on August 8th. I'm off that day, and everything just aligned perfectly. This is such a great lineup of films. I feel pretty close to Ava Gardner because... I believe it was two years ago, my boyfriend and I were going on a road trip and it just happened to fit perfectly. Everything aligned where we were going right through her hometown and her very, very wonderful museum that's dedicated to her in Smithfield, North Carolina. And I got the chance to go inside and it was just such a fantastic experience. In preparation, I read her autobiography. I watched all the movies I could. I got to see all of her amazing things and I got to see her grave as well. That's where she's buried. So I feel a really personal connection to Ava Gardner, but there's still a lot of holes. There are still quite a few films of hers I haven't seen. And this is a really great lineup to not only watch the movies again that I appreciate of hers, but also to fill those gaps in her filmography. For one thing, I'm particularly excited about The Great Sinner, which I believe stars her opposite Melvin Douglas and Gregory Pecks. But the reason why I want to see The Great Sinner is because the museum boasts such a wonderful collection of her costumes from that film. There's this satin or velvet black dress that she wears in it that I saw in person and it just threw me for a loop. It's so beautiful. To see it in the movie is going to be great. Of course, Knights of the Round Table is another one. It's a little bit under the radar compared to some of her other works, but I've seen pictures of her in it and she's just so, so beautiful 
And I'm really excited to see that movie for the first time. And I always love when Summer to the Stars includes documentaries. So I'm really thrilled to see Ava Gardner, the Gypsy of Hollywood that's showing at prime time. I'm really excited to learn more about her, whatever I haven't learned from her autobiography and the museum. All of these movies, it's just either a film that I love or a film that I really want to see with the exception of Mogambo and Bowani Junction. Those are two movies I'm just not thrilled about. But the rest of them, like, of course, Pandora and the Flying Dutchman, The Killers, Showboat. I'm just over the moon about these choices. And I'm very eager to dedicate 24 hours to her. I can't believe you didn't mention that The Great Sinner also stars my time travel boyfriend. Gregory Peck. I did. I said Melvin Douglas and Gregory Peck. Sorry. I meant that you didn't mention that he's my time travel boyfriend. Okay. So I should have been clear. I feel like it should just be for all of us. But if I mention John Garfield, I'm not going to not mention Kristen. That's a good point. They never show any Tyrone Power movies, so I can't make this argument. <laughs> he's just completely omitted all the time. But Gregory Peck, I will throw in a bit of trivia. He actually visited the Ava Gardner Museum in person and chatted about her. Right now, I believe they have a whole exhibit about her relationship with him, or at least they did when I went. It's just spectacular. Now you're really winning me over for your Ava Gardner day, especially so I can listen for any Gregory Peck mention. Speaking of, I would have really loved to see On the Beach included. I'm a little bit upset that that wasn't included because... I haven't seen it and I've been dying to. And another one I really would have loved to see on here is The Night of the Iguana. That's one I have seen and it's definitely a favorite of her later works. TCM, what's up with that? Otherwise, perfect schedule. Drea, what's your last one? All right. So my last one, I know you guys know who it is because at least one of you wanted to do him as well. And that is Mr. Kirk Douglas. Or you were just rolling your eyes at my choice. I'm going to be How did you know what I'm so doing excited. right now? <laughs> <laughs> you guys know, so I work for the Golden Globes every year, or I have for like the past six years, and I help put together the nominee packages, the video elements. And so Kirk Douglas was one of our presenters last year, and we made a really small package. And because it's a live show, they don't even air everything that we make because people talk for so long. That's the first thing to go is what I've worked on. And I have no hard feelings about that, clearly. But the fun part about that when we have lifetime achievement and things like that is that you're required for your job to go back and rewatch all these things. So last year, I remember sitting in our editing booth, rewatching a lot of Kirk Douglas films with a bunch of people who had never seen them, which was really special. One of the ones that I loved finding a moment for was the film Lust for Life. Obviously, that's when he plays Vincent Van Gogh. Who knew I was going to have numerous Vincent Benelli films? I guess that's my sub-theme today. There's just these great body performance scenes with Kirk Douglas and Anthony Quinn and James Donald. And it's a really particular kind of acting because it's based on this painter and there's a lot of other artists in it. It's aiming for the stars and taking on a really artistic look and feel to it heavy in the drama i kind of enjoyed that lust for life i'm happy to see on there just going to continue on Mamanelli front we're talking about oh should i be so drawn to things that people are so well known for but 
The Bad and the Beautiful is such a great film. It's one of my favorite films about Hollywood, about the making of things or the behind the scenes. In this one, Kirk plays this film producer. He's very caustic and he's surrounded by people who are wheeling and dealing with him. And it's so good and so petty. It shows all this pettiness. It has all of these different people playing different Hollywood types. And I just enjoy that. It's canon, you guys. You should be seeing Bad and the Beautiful. I feel like even Kristen can't fight me on that, although she'll probably want to, because anything based around supposedly that David O. Selznick was an inspiration for this is very funny to me. Oh, so that increases things. Okay. It's one of those movies. (laughs) Yes. It's one of those. It's like a combination of him, but it's definitely digging at them. If you're into film, then watching a movie from 1952 about the behind the scenes. Come on, that's good stuff. And then the last one, just for us, I'm going to end on a real dramatic bummer. One of my favorite performances of his is in Town Without Pity. It's not an easy view because it's not an easy subject. He plays the defense attorney for four American servicemen stationed in Germany during the war who have been accused and definitely are guilty of gang raping a teenage German girl in this town. As the defense attorney for the army, he has to face these moral quandaries of doing his job right for these four GIs means cutting down this girl and making the witnesses look wary. And it's a very big emotional toll on him. If you're not drawn to courtroom films, this is probably not the one for you, but there's a lot of nuance to what he's doing with this one. So if you are someone that likes a juicier, bleaker drama, you guys know I have an appetite for it. Town Without Pity. Gunfight at the OK Corral. There's something for everybody, you guys. Do you want me to throw in my faves from this list before you shoot it down, Kristen? I wasn't going to say anything. (laughs) Feel free to share share your recommends. (laughs) The more I hear you talk about these movies and the more I look at the schedule, the more I honestly am really excited about this day. I'm so sorry to say. I'm also seeing some really big omissions. What the heck? Why on earth is Ace in the Hole not on this list? I do not understand it. Agreed. That is one of my favorite Kirk Douglas movies. He's so, so excellent in it. And then another one that I haven't seen, but I hear he's just magnificent in is Paths of Glory. I don't know if they have the rights to that one. I believe it's a Criterion release. I may be wrong. That would be another cool one to see. Aside from that, the movies that are on the list, Strange Love of Martha Ivers, I will say do not recommend. Don't watch that movie. I was curious. I gave it a try. I was so disappointed. Young Man with a Horn, I haven't seen, but I've been dying to see because of his association with someone named Gene Spangler related to that film, but also because him and Lauren Bacall, and it's just one of his most famous. Bad and the Beautiful, definitely going to give another rewatch. Lust for life. Personal feelings towards Kirk aside, his performance in this film was not only one of his greatest, but one of the greatest acting performances I've ever seen. And I truly mean that. I don't throw that around lightly, 
it's just so phenomenal, so overwhelming and powerful. He's just fantastic in that film. A couple others I'm really going to quickly throw out there. Spartacus, never seen it. So I might be watching that for the first time on Kirk Douglas Day. The other one I haven't seen, another big film of his, Gunfight at the OK Corral. I'm getting into Westerns and I might give that a try. A pretty good, solid lineup for someone who doesn't necessarily get recognition as an actor. I don't know. Is it just me? He gets recognition as an actor, but it's all he made things for such a span of time. And then also as a producer started to take things on. But I'm excited for you to see Spartacus. That's funny. I didn't put it on my list because I thought they're going to mock me if I put Spartacus because everyone who thinks of Kirk Douglas thinks of Spartacus because they've seen it. Ace in the Hole and Lust for Life. And I think that's accurate because those are his two best out of what I've seen. But I'm excited to see the ones of his that I haven't seen. And there's a pretty good selection of those. You've completely sold me on Town Without Pity. I'm definitely going to watch that as twisted as it sounds. All right. Kristen, what do you got for your last person? I have a very different type of character for my last one. I am talking about I believe I'm pronouncing her last name right. I could be wrong. Leela Hyams. She's on August 22nd. She is best known, to me at least, as the good woman in 1932's Freaks, which is a must-watch if we're talking about one of the best horror movies, if we're talking about one of the oddly most progressive disabled features that I can think of. Freaks is a fantastic movie, and Leela Hyams plays the nice girl that's in the quote-unquote normal relationship in this circus filled with sideshow oddities. It's a story about a bad vamp woman who wants to marry one of the circus performers for his money. Bad things happen. It's a fantastic movie. We might be talking about it at some point this year because I have a lot of thoughts about it. But that's what I had known her for. I did not know she had done other things. And boy, has she done a lot of other movies. Early that morning, they're showing the Bishop murder case, which is a Philo Vance murder mystery starring William Powell. I have not seen any of the Philo Vance features, and I feel like I should do that at some point. So this is a great opportunity. She's also in the Jean Harlow feature Redheaded Woman, which is the film that ushered in the code with Jean Harlow playing a villainous, eponymous redheaded woman who is just sleeping her way to the top. And Leva Himes was also in Island of Lost Souls, which is, I believe, the earliest iteration of the Island of Dr. Moreau. And as somebody who really, really enjoys the 96th version of the Island of Dr. Moreau, I feel like I should see the original, because I'm fairly certain it is incredibly different. Nothing like a little horror in August to prep you for Halloween. That's what I'm going to be checking out. Have you seen any of her work before? I've seen Freaks and I've seen Redheaded Woman. I actually remember her better in Redheaded Woman now that I think about it. This is what I'm talking about. These are the stars that TCM needs to include because she's really one of the only two or three that I just really haven't heard about by name. I'm so thrilled that they're showing pretty much a day of fantastic looking pre-code. That's just such a great opportunity. If I have the chance, I mean, I'm off that day. That's another one that I'm probably going to binge and find some new favorites. But I can't really think of any specific films just because she's so new to me. And I'm so thrilled by that. I've seen Yellow Dust and I don't remember how. I think I dreamt it at some point. I agree. And I'm glad that I made a Layla Hyams joke earlier in this with no idea that that's who you were going to pick. 
So I feel like we've come full circle. It's very satisfying. Really quickly, any honorable mentions we want to throw out? Any stars or movies that we want to make a case for? Sam? The one that I threw out last minute and replaced with Errol Flynn was going to be Humphrey Bogart. I am definitely excited about his movies, but I have to admit I have seen every single one. Except for All Through the Night, which I missed at the festival, but I am definitely going to catch this time around. We are definitely tearing down some of the classics in this episode because I feel like that's not really what Summer Under the Stars is about. But it's going to be a really good chance to see some of those movies. And I just adore Bogey. I am one of those few people that think that he was a very sexy man. I'm just thrilled to spend a day with him at some point this month. That's going to be a lot of fun. Not really any others. We've covered it pretty well. Fred Astaire, I'm glad that they're showing some of his work apart from Ginger, although they are showing five of his movies with Ginger. It's a nice mix. Buster Keaton, I know a lot of people are really excited about that one. I'm glad that they have at least one silent star. The silent stars, that's another way we can improve Somewhere Under the Stars, throw some more silence in there, because I am just not very well versed with them. It'll be a great chance for, hopefully in the future, to do my research, do my homework on some silent stars. Drea, any honorable mentions? Honorable mention to Irene Dunn. I just love her so much. All of her films I love. Out of her list of what they're showing for her 24 hours, I've seen a good number of them. The Awful Truth or Penny Serenade. She's just such a reliable performer and I like what she brings out of her leading men. A couple movies I would show for. Henry Fonda is going to kick things off on August 1st and I'd recommend if you're up early watching The Madness Manton from 1938. It's a screwball crime comedy with Barbara Stanwyck playing a daffy socialite who also has like a group of women that solve crimes. I feel like it's a precursor to a simple favor in that she just wants to solve crimes and also spend money and play around. And it's really funny. Her and Henry Fonda have a great chemistry together. A movie that I recommend purely out of morbidly curious purposes is on Brian Donlevy Day. It's at five o'clock. 1956 is A Cry in the Night. It's a crime drama where Brian Donlevy's father, to Natalie Wood, who is kidnapped by Raymond Burr, it is the most ridiculous crime drama ever made. It is just so bad. It is entertaining. And it has my favorite classic movie line where the cops just look around and say, don't worry, they're probably high on them goofballs. Indeed, they are. It's worth watching. So those are our honorable mentions. Sam, we had put out a call on Twitter about sharing with us what the listeners were excited to see during Summer Under the Stars. Do you want to read the responses that we got? Absolutely. We got a few really great comments. The first one is from Peter Bryant at PM Bryant. He's always a great supporter of the show. And he said, I just looked it over and Anne Southern's day is the answer for me. Susan Hayward next. Leela Hyams, which you guys mentioned, is also intriguing, though I know very little about her. Of course, Fred Astaire's day will be fabulous as well, even though I've seen all those films multiple times. I will agree with Fred Astaire day. 
it's definitely some classics, but it's a good mix of classics. Very excited for You Were Never Lovelier in particular. Marcy at Marcy K said, Here for Ruth Hussey, Rita Moreno, Bogey, and Paul Lucas. I discover so many hashtag new to me gems during Summer Under the Stars. Definitely agree with that. I feel like there aren't enough chances to see the new to us films, but there's a good mix. And our last comment is from at Margot's1949. And she agrees with Peter. She says August 12th and Southern Day. The Whales of August is a must-see. Cry Havoc also. Just to throw in my two cents, Cry Havoc is such a must. That is one of the singular movies this month that I am the most excited for. I'm just so over the moon that they're including that. Women in World War II. That's going to close out this edition of Ticklish Business. Of course, let us know what you think about Summer Under the Stars. You can send all your comments to us at ticklishbiz at gmail.com, and we'll read them on the next episode. Sam, where can fans find and get in touch with you? What's going on with your work? All of that. I am online at musingsofaclassicfilmaddict.com. I post some blogathons, some reviews, all kinds of things pretty regularly. And you can find my Cooking with the Stars posts every month at classicmoviehub.com. This month I have made my most requested recipe, Catherine Hepburn's brownies. Very delicious. And lastly, you can follow me at Classic Film Geek on Twitter. Drea Clark, where can fans find and get in touch with you? I am on Twitter at the Drea Clark, and I do a contemporary podcast called Who Shot Ya on Maximum Fun. And you can always find me on Twitter at journeys underscore film. And once again, you can participate and read about the Summer Under the Stars Classic Film Blogathon, as well as all my reviews on classic cinema over at journeysinclassicfilm.com. You can listen to Ticklish Business a variety of different ways, either directly at ticklishbusiness.podbean.com, Stitcher Radio, Player FM, or SoundCloud. You can contact us directly at ticklishbiz, that's B-I-Z, at gmail.com. And the podcast is also on Twitter at ticklish underscore biz. And once again, if you want to learn more about upcoming episodes, get exclusive merch, or hear content that no one else can hear, consider supporting Ticklish Business via Patreon. We have a wealth of amazing perks. All your donations go straight back into making Ticklish Business the classic film podcast it is. Patrons right now get access to special pins, as well as my two bonus shows. And we are starting our Patreon drive on August 1st. The goal to get 20 patrons. That's at patreon.com slash ticklishbiz. So next time, what are we doing, Drea? Kristen, I'm very excited because we are discussing Valley of the Dolls. As we should, we are a Valley of Dolls. Yes, we are going to be honoring the 50th anniversary of Sharon Tate's untimely passing by looking at the movie that most people remember her for. And we will be having a special guest. I've never seen it. I am so excited. Oh, you were in for a treat. That will be next time.